If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up Ephesians, and uh, we're going to do something a, a little different today, but I promise you it will make sense here shortly, or at least I hope I do. If it doesn't, man, y'all forgive me. So uh, we are in a, a, a difficult stretch in the book of Ephesians, and I'll show you why here shortly, but uh, what I've asked uh, Jimmy to do is to, I, I sent him these passages here. So they're not connected in your Bibles, uh, and I'll show you, they're, they're, they're disjointed, but just track with me, read it as if they were one paragraph. So just look on the screen. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we turn our attention to your word and pray that you would be our teacher. You've told us, oh God, how to keep our way pure, and that is to delight in your law, to study your law, that it would be a light for our feet and a lamp unto our path, Pray, O oh God, that you would make us doers of the word and not only hearers. For the sake of Christ, we pray. Amen. So you've, you've heard me talk about it before, but when I grew up, when I was growing up here in Jackson, that I used to love Saturday mornings. Saturday mornings, me and probably 30 of my friends would uh, get together in our neighborhood and we would figure out what we're going to wear and pick out our outfits. And then we would all head down the street to a guy's house by the name of Keith Martin. And Keith was uh, president of the Blue Bengals Association out at Jackson State. And so he took all the kids in our neighborhood out to every single home game for Jackson State football. And we would all pile up in his truck and, and my dad and other men would just get on the street and we would caravan straight from where we live to Veterans Memorial Stadium. And we would get there several hours early and we would get to run around the field and, and go in and and right when the game started, he would give us a stack. He would give us a stack of JSU programs, and, and he hired us. And so we would sell these JSU programs. We were those guys running up and down every single bleacher in the stadium, yelling programs, programs, get your programs. And for every program we sold for $2, we got 50 cents. And so we would, we would sell programs. In. But here's, here's where it got funny. We would all stop with about three minutes left in the second quarter because we didn't want to see the game. We wanted to see halftime. 
And so if you went to an HBCU, you know the difference. If you go to a, a PWI, you know, you're going to go get your drinks during halftime. At an HBCU, you're going to be watching the band at halftime because you're there to watch the band. And so it was always mesmerizing to watch at the time what looked like a thousand, I mean, it looked like a thousand of people in the band. It's probably a couple hundred, but I would always mes be mesmerized that some would get on one side and some would get on the other side and the percussionists would be straight in the middle and the dancers would be right here on this side and you would just hear this thing, it was this tap. And then it would start marching and then it would go. And the, they would just scatter like little ants everywhere. And it was, it was beautiful. They would get in their, their formations. And in my mind, I'm like, how in the world can they keep time? How in the world does everybody know to march at that beat? And I'll tell you how they know. The percussionists, they were keeping the tempo the whole time. And if you look at everybody's foot, they were marching to the same beat. That's how they were able to do it. That's how the dancers and the flag girls and the trumpets and the saxophonists and the basses, that's how they were all able to keep time was because the percussion section was giving it to them. You know, that's not unlike what Paul is doing in our passage this morning, that this is a very diverse church he's writing to in Ephesus. There's Jews, there are Greeks, there are new Christians, there are people coming out of worshiping all kinds of things in Ephesus. And there are people who are coming out of Judaism, and so there, will, there would have been some similarities. And the question that's before them and us is, how in the world will Paul get them marching to the same beat? Like, how will they know how to live and do life together? Like, like, like whose culture is going to shape the church, right? How do they know what's right and what's wrong and, and how we're supposed to view one another and treat one another? And Paul is basically telling them that God has given you a drum beat. He's given you all a beat to march to. And if you stay in step with this, your community will be blessed. And I say that that is true for us this morning. That when we think about this church and what we desire it to be and what we desire you to be as men and women, we got to step back and ask the question, what is it that guides our conduct and our behavior? And I think Paul gives us an answer this morning. And so the first thing I want us to think through is, is, is the drumbeat of this new community. Now, here's what if you want to take notes, you can write that, the drumbeat of the new community. Now, scholars are really divided over what to do with, with the remainder of this book. And, and here's why. Kind of trust me on this, or, or, or you can read through it if, if you have your Bible. I'm going to go really fast. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to cover 425 all the way to 6, chapter 6, verse 2. You can look at me, and I'm give, I'll give you scripture references, but I want you to pay attention to how often Paul changes the theme. So look at every sentence and notice how disjointed it looks. And so in, in verse four, chapter 4, verse 25, he says, put away falsehood. He's talking about speech. And look at chapter 4, verse 26. Then he talks about anger, be angry and sin not, and give no opportunity to the devil. Then look at verse 28. He talks about stealing. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him work. And then look at chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. He just talked about talk in verse 25, and now he brings it up again in verse 29. 
And then in, in verse 30, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 31, that all bitterness and wrath and anger, he just talked about anger in verse 26. Now he brings it up again. And then in verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And then he switches over in chapter 5, be imitators of God as beloved children walk in love. Then in, in chapter 5, verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity. And then he brings up covetousness right there. Then he says in verse chapter 5, verse 4, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk. Well, wait a minute. You just talked about talk three other times before this, and now you're bringing it up again. Yes, he is. And then look what it is in chapter 5. Five, verse 5, so you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, well, he just talked about sexual immorality in chapter 5, verse 3, and he's going on and on and on, changing subjects almost every single sentence, and then he gets to, to wives in chapter 5, verse 22, and wives, you behave this way, and then he gets to husbands, and, and husbands, you behave this way, and then in chapter 6, he gets to children, and children, obey your parents. In the Lord, for this is right. You notice what's happening? He's changing themes every other verse or so. And here's the thing. We don't really know why. Because some people will say, well, wait a minute. That must have meant someone in the church was stealing. And so Paul is saying, let the thief amongst you no longer steal. But that really doesn't work because if we think that this was a circular letter that went throughout all the other churches in the area, some churches would look at this and say, wait a minute, is there a thief amongst us? So they're, they're, they're divided over why this list. Now, here's my theory. I can't prove it. Here's my theory. This is not unorthodox, and this is not a haphazard list. Paul is doing what, what, uh, what people might call hiding the strings. Don Snyder, uh, he's the creator of six out of the top 10 Super Bowl commercials of all time. He created them. And he's interviewed and asked, how are you making hit after hit after hit? And he says, I hide the strings. And they're asking him, wait a minute, what does it mean to hide the strings? He says, marketing says this, the, the general way that we market stuff is Here's our product. It's better than the other people's product. Now give us your money to buy our product. He says, that's kind of old. People can sniff that out. They know that you're, you're marketing them. He says, there's a better way to market. He says, just have a good product. And let the product speak for itself. Know what you're committed to as a company and let that shape every single thing from the manufacturers to the distributors to the packaging. Let what you're committed to shape everything. And when it lands in the hands of your customer, they will know what you're about. And so he designed Super Bowl commercials that way with the end in mind. And he, he, he uses Apple. He uses Apple as a as a case point. If you have ever bought an Apple, a watch an iPad, a phone, an iPod. He says, think about this. He says, think about how it felt when you held that box in your hand. Those edges were really sharp. He says, think about the print on the box, how elegant it was to look at. He says, think about the weight of it and the thickness of the material that they're shipping the product in. No other phone company has, 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 has packaging that thick. He says, and then think about it when you pull it off. He says, you know that suction you feel? That some of you know right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
that suction, when you try to pull it off, it's so form-fitted, it's so tight that you have to kind of sweat to get it off. And then when you open it, how in the world did they pack all of this inside of there? And then look at the little headphones, how they tuck them in. There is, you know what he says? You can talk about quality all day till you're blue in the face. But when you open up an Apple phone, you know they're about quality. They've hidden the strings from you. They're telling you what they're about without telling you what they're about, right? Paul's doing that. He's about something, but he's not being overt with what he's about. He thinks that something is crucial, important, but he's not going to let the cat out of the bag. He wants them to have the same feeling that I think you're about to have, right? Now, when you read this list, as I just read it, it looks really disjointed. And if you were a Gentile, right? Remember in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says you were called the uncircumcised, uncircumcision by the circumcision. You were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers for the covenant of promises. And you were without hope and without God. And so in case you're new, a Gentile is a non-Jew. And if you look at our quote, there, there's a quote on what the Gentiles knew. They could tell you about Oedipus. They could tell you about Artemis. They could tell you about Helen. They could tell you about Achilles and Orpheus and Eurydice and, and Jocasta, right? They could tell you about all their Greek gods, but you asked them about the one true God, silence. They, they would not have known. And they would not have made a connection between religion and morality, right? That, that would have been out of their minds because they had philosophers who would do this stuff. But this connection between worship of the one true God and that shaping everything we do, it would have been out of their minds. Now, they would have read this list and it would have went over their heads. But put on your Jewish glasses. Put on your Jewish glasses. All right, I got a slide. I'm sorry you can't hear it. I mean, see it. But if you want it, I'll send it to you. All right, there we go. Uh-oh. Here we come. Almost. Uh-oh. Here we go. Here we go. No, still no. All right, I'll give you, can you get it? And I'll, I'll just kind of talk it. So here's what we're going to do. So here's what I'm doing this morning. What, so when you read this list from chapter four to verse, chapter, chapter four to chapter six, it looks really disjointed. He's changing topics every few verses. Now, here's what I'm doing. What I want us to do is say, okay, he brings up, do not bear false witness. Let's look at every single time he brings up something that has to do with our mouth and our speech, you know? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. He does that, so I'll do that for you. But then that's, that, that's not the only thing. Then he brings up uh, anger, right? He says, be angry, but do not sin, lest you give the devil a, a foothold, right? So he brings up anger. Then he brings up stealing. Do not steal that the thief who steals, let him work and let him be generous. So he brings up stealing. Here we go. Thank you. All right. Push it a few times. There we go. So that's falsehood. So look at it. He brings up falsehood in chapter 4. But look in chapter 4, 29, chapter 5, 4, chapter 5, 6. He keeps bringing up all these behaviors that have to do with the mouth. 
Now, go to the next one. He says, do not be angry, but do not sin. He brings it up in chapter 4, verse 26, and then he brings it up again in chapter 5, verse 31. Well, I think it's 431. Go to the next one. He says, do not steal, work with your own hands, and have money to give those in need. He doesn't really talk about stealing again. Go to the next one. Do not be sexually immoral. He brings that up in chapter 5, verse 3. He brings it up again. The sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God, chapter 5, verse 5. And then he talks to wives about how to love your husbands. He talks to husbands about how to love your wives. Then go again. He talks about covetousness. In chapter 5, verse 3, those who are covetous will not inherit the kingdom of God. He uses that twice. And then guess what else he talks about? Children. Obey your parents. This is the first commandment with the promise. Now, if you were a Jew and you heard these things, you know what you would have thought about instantly? Hit it again for me. Isn't there a commandment that says you should not bear false witness? That's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Go again. Isn't there a commandment about do not murder? And does Jesus not say that you have heard that it was said that you should not commit murder? But I say that if you're angry with your brother, go again. Isn't there a commandment that talks about do not steal? Right? Go again. Isn't there a commandment about do not commit adultery? Go again. Isn't there a commandment about you shall not covet your neighbor's house, his wife, his servants, his ox, his donkey? Go again. Isn't there a commandment about honor your father and mother? You see what, what Paul is doing? Now show the connection. The falsehood, that's coming straight from Exodus 20, straight from Deuteronomy chapter 5. Show the connection. Falsehood. That's one of the Ten Commandments. It's the ninth one. And everything about talk is under that umbrella. Do not be, be angry, but do not sin. It's do not commit murder, because we know where anger leads. It leads to murder if it's unchecked. What about do not steal? Doesn't Paul just tell them that the thief no longer steal, but let him work? What about sexual immorality? The, the commandment says do not commit adultery, and Paul is telling them over and over again, do not be sexually immoral. What about covetousness? He brings it up twice in the section. And children, honor your parents. You, you, you see, if you were Jewish, all right, you can, you, can, you can kill it now. Thank you. If you look at this with Gentile eyes, it looks really random. But if you were a Jew in that congregation and you heard this, you knew exactly what Paul was doing. You knew exactly what Paul was saying. And this is what he was saying. As much as we are a new expression of God's worshipers, as much as you are Greek and you are Jew, and this church is in Ephesus and it's in Asia Minor, as much as God's spirit has been newly poured out upon the Gentiles, Make no mistake about it, the drumbeat that we will march forward to is not going to be Jewish culture, and it's not going to be Gentile culture. It's going to be the law of the Lord. You see that? If we're going to move forward, you don't have a right to make up rules and tell me this is how I need to live. And you don't have a right to make up rules and tell me that this is what a healthy Christian does. We don't have that kind of weight and we don't have that kind of pull. He does. He gets to shape the ethical 
behavior of his people that he has purchased with his own blood, and you know where he goes? He goes right back to the law that he gave Moses. If you want to move forward and be conformed to my image, if you want to be brothers and sisters bound in love, this is how you live amongst one another. It's my standard, and not yours, and not yours, and not yours. It's mine. I tell my people how to live. I set the agenda for their behavior, for their conduct. Now, what's also beautiful about this section is that notice how it starts. You can look at chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, we're going to come back to that. Notice what Paul says. He says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Now, just focus on the each one of you, right? This would have been mind-blowing in Paul's day. Because in Ephesus, you could be an indentured servant. And if you were an indentured servant, guess what? You could not vote and you could not run for office. So there was already a double standard based on who I am and what I have I don't get certain privileges, but you do. And and if you have bought your freedom, right, if you have paid your way out of debt, then you could vote, but you could not run for office. And if you had been adopted into a royal family, guess what? You had all the rights and privileges. And in their day, they would have been used to double standards. That's true in our day, right? Just just think back. A couple years, think about Emmett Till, right? Think about a black boy who is, his life is taken because he supposedly whistles at a white woman. But then go back and look how white men treated black women, where if you wanted my wife, you could just come and take her. That's a double standard. You get it? Think about what just happened in Florida. And it's it's so sad, and my heart has ached This whole week, I have kids who I send to school. But then the president of Planned Parenthood will send a tweet out, our hearts go out to the children in Florida. This senseless killing, we have to stop. Wait a minute, lady, you can't have it both ways. You can't run this organization that murders kids and then come over here and say your heart is weeping because of these? It's a double standard. You get it? What about, right, when I live in Jackson, I love Jackson, a black man killed by a white man, a cop, right? It's sad, right? And it's disheartening and it's wrong. And we'll march and we'll protest. And you turn on the news at night And I see dudes who look like me killing other dudes who look like me. And we're silent. You see, we we all have these blinders on. And here is what Paul does in this letter. He says, let every one of you, every single one of you in this fellowship treat one another this way. In other words, because you're black, you don't get a pass. And because you're white, you don't get a pass. And because you're Jewish, you don't get a pass. And because you're Republican, you don't get a pass. And because you're Democratic, you don't get a pass. In other words, the law of God transcends all of us. You get it? That's what Paul is saying. 
let every one of you, every one of you, from the elders to the deacons to the pastors to the little kids, every one of you will march to my standard. That's the weight of this passage. It's applicable to everyone. This is the moral code, family. This is the drumbeat that if we would study the law and, and, and run our behavior and our thinking and our conduct and our worldview through the moral law of God, we will be conformed to the image of Christ and we will love one another in a way that is, uh, the world cannot even compete with it. That's the drumbeat. It's the moral law. That's, that, that, that's what we're trying to stay in step with. Now, I, I get it. Wait, wait a minute, Pastor Ella. I know Jesus came to do away with the law. No, 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 no. We're going to come back to that, right? So, so don't, don't go there yet. Let's look at the depth of the law. So here's what I want to do this morning. I, I just want us to focus on the passages that are in your, that, that's in your bulletin that have to do with put away falsehood. I think Paul is directly referencing that commandment from the Ten Commandments, the ninth one. And here's what Paul is doing. He says, it's not just you shall not bear false witness. If you want to love your neighbor, don't lie on him and her. Don't use your tongue, this member right here, to speak something that isn't true about your neighbor. If you want to love your neighbor, this little member right here that James talks about, it's dangerous and it's deadly. And Paul is saying, you got to use it accordingly. And so I think what Paul is doing in Ephesians is actually what Jesus does. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've committed adultery in your heart. Now, what did Jesus do? Was he anti-law? No, he gave a divine commentary on the commandment. And so when God says don't commit adultery, you're not innocent just because you don't lay with another person, right? Jesus says the spirit of that commandment is an adulterous heart. You get it? That's what Paul is doing. The commandment says you shall not lie. You shall not use this member right here in a way that harms your neighbor because of untruth. And we think that that's all he's talking about. And that is not all he's talking about. The, the spirit of that commandment is so much more profound and so deep. And you see it in the text. You see it in verse 29 of chapter four. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. This is harmful speech from your mouths, words that cause harm. And this harmful speech, it isn't necessarily rooted in what is said, but what will happen because it is said. It's a difference, right? The, the nuance in the Greek is that word means to decay. And I think in the context of it, Paul is saying, don't use words that will decay the fabric of community. Give you an example. Let's say that you're married and you have two kids and there's a divorce that happens. And in that divorce, the husband gets the kids for a weekend and then the wife gets the kids for a weekend and you're doing that dance, right? Corrupting speech, right? It, it can be true. But it can be unwise and unprofitable because if if the kids are with you and you're the wife and all you do is 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 just drill down on their daddy. Right. 
And all you do is give all of this stuff as an adult that you can process and you can handle, but you take it and you dump it on your kids. You know what you're doing? You're decaying their understanding of their father. You get it? So it's not that it's not true. It's just that should a four-year-old hear everything about their dad and how the relationship went south, that this idea of corrupting talk, it has to do with decay. Will my words decay how they think about their dad? It didn't work with me, but he's still their father. You get it? That it's not necessarily saying bad things. It's unwise things that you, you just put on them, that in their minds, their perception about their father, and, and he could be really bad or she could be really bad, but the question is, should a four-year-old hear this? He says, put that away, right? Let no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, in chapter 5, verse 4, which are out of place. This has everything to do with what is said and what the intention is behind what is said. This filthiness and foolish talk and crude joking in the context of it, it's in the context of sexual immorality. And so what we think Paul is, is, is getting at here is, is the typical kind of locker room talk, how dudes would talk about women kind of behind closed doors and or, 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 or kind of the, the girl talk, right? The girl talk that, that the, the women might just kind of get over here and gossip about, you know, that, that, that this corrupting talk, this talk, that, that this crude joking, the, this inappropriate, and it has sexual overtones, right? Because look at the context of it. It's always around sexual immorality. And so here's the thing. It's not just applicable to us adults. It's also applicable to you teenagers and how you use social media. And you coming at, at a dude or a dude coming at you talking about sending you some pictures and all it is, this would fit into that category, this crude joking, this, this filthiness that has this end of sexual immorality at hand. Paul says, put that away. Chapter 5, verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. So now he goes to not just what's coming out of your mouth, but what, what you're letting your ears hear that's coming out of the mouths of other people, he says, the empty words. He says, for because of them, the wrath of God will come. Do not be partners with them. This has to do with a lack of substance. Paul is probably talking about the Greek mythology. Like, you got to know that when the gospel came to Ephesus in Asia Minor, that they believed in Greek mythology, right? They actually believed that you could appease the gods. You could go to this temple and lay with these prostitutes, that you could do all of these things somehow to appease these gods. And what Paul is telling them, their stuff is empty. Do you know that, th that Greek mythology was created by men who look like you and me? And so Paul is saying, would you really listen to that stuff when you have a faith that is concrete? There is living proof that King David lived. There is living proof that Israel was in Egypt. There is living proof that Pharaoh and his family was destroyed. There is living proof that Nebuchadnezzar and Artaxerxes and Darius and, and Pilate and, all, and, and Caiaphas. There is proof, there is proof, proof, proof that these, this was not make-believe. This was real. And there was substance to it. And a guy named Jesus really walked the earth, Right? 
Josephus writes about him, a, a Jewish historian, right? And so Paul is saying, wait a minute. You have all of this evidence that your faith is not man-made, that there is historical evidence that these things really happen. Would you entertain emptiness? God will not share his glory with another. Don't entertain. Don't even listen to what they're saying is what he's saying. And then he goes a step further in chapter 5, verse 18. It's not what you hear coming in, and, and it's not what's coming out of your mouth. He actually says, do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery. Now, I know you're thinking, like, wait a minute, Pastor. That, that, that cannot, he cannot be talking about this. Yes, because here's what he's doing. We use this tongue and this mouth to form words, and these words come out and we articulate. But it, it, it goes the other way around, that, that we can put things in the mouth and on the taste book, but of the tongue that goes into our bodies. And Paul says, do not be drunk with wine. Now, he doesn't say don't drink. And he doesn't say don't let wine touch your tongue. He says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Now, have you ever been around drunk people? Or have you ever been drunk, right? What usually happens is your tongue gets a little loose. Right? You just, I, I don't know why, you just... You just talk a lot and say crazy stuff and listen to people say crazy stuff. You're kind of under this influence. Now, I think in a sense, Paul's also attaching that. But it isn't just the negatives of the command. It's also the positives of the command as well. So Paul isn't just saying, hey, don't tell a lie, but what do I do? He says, speak the truth with his neighbor. Put away falsehood and then use that tongue of yours to speak the truth. Now, look at chapter 5, verses 18 through 19. This is why I believe Paul is a, a, a genius, right? Look at what he says in chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And notice the comma. That's not a period. It's the same thought. He's carrying out the same thought. Notice what he says. And address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. In other words, don't get so full of liquor that it goes in you and you are screaming profanities and, and you don't even know what you're talking about. He says, rather be full of the spirit and then do what with your tongue? Sing scripture over people. Read psalms to people. Sing hymns to people. Do you see the connection? The alcohol connection going in the body is shaping the tongue, and he is saying, don't do that because you're not going to know what you're going to say. Rather, be full of the Spirit and let psalms come out of your mouth. Let hymns come out of your mouth. Verse 12, when you hear this stuff that they're talking about, he says, it's shameful to even repeat what they do, right? Don't even, don't even repeat it. Chapter, four, chapter 5, verse 4, let there no be filthy, foolish talk or crude joking, but rather let there be thanksgiving. You see, every single time he is saying, don't do this, but beloved, don't think that God is just saying, stop doing the bad stuff. He's also saying the depth of that commandment also means putting on the right stuff. Get it? In other words, the law is just not about what we don't do. 
Don't lie. Don't say empty words. Don't use filthy speech. Don't engage in drunkenness. But it's also what we should positively be doing, speaking the truth that gives grace, that builds people up, expressing gratitude, using silence wisely, singing the Psalms and, and, and speaking hymns to God's people. This is what's behind that commandment to put away falsehood. Now, here's the dilemma. We know the drumbeat is the moral law. And we know the depth of that law is profound. Here's the dilemma. On the one hand, this is a commandment. These are all imperatives, right? This is not negotiable. On the other hand, is it perfectly attainable by anyone? Our temptation is to think that it's attainable. Our temptation is to hear what he talks about crude joking and to say, yes, amen, little 15-year-old boy, you stop crude joking my daughter, right? Our temptation as a father is to say, see, the word of God tells me I'm right. You cannot do this and should not do this, right? Our temptation is to hear this and say, see, look at how you're talking to me right now. You should not talk to me. You should respect me and honor me. I'm worthy of honor. See, you need to have this put on you, right? Our temptation is to think that, oh, okay, well, Scripture says don't get drunk. And so all you bourbon drinking, beer loving, Cabernet drinking Presbyterians, y'all are playing with fire, right? We sit here and use this book and we sick it on them, right? That's just how we read it, right? We, we read it. We read it and thinking that God is talking about somebody else. And that's not how we're supposed to read it. We're supposed to read it and say, you know what? He's talking to me. I'm guilty. Even if I don't say crude things now, I was a 12-year-old once. I was a managed little boy once. And God saw that. That even though I don't entertain empty words now, I did go behind the back of somebody I love and gossip. And that person really didn't do anything to that person, but I'm, I'm hating on this person in front of that person. And because I'm telling that person about what this person did, now their impression of them is going to be decayed when that person did no, absolutely nothing to them. And this person has repented to you for what they did. It's supposed to be out the window, but no, you got to keep talking about it. You get it? You may not drink and may not get drunk, but did you sing over your drunk roommate? Did you sing psalms over your drunk husband? Or did you get angry and put him out the room? You see, when you get to the heart of this commandment family, here's what God is saying. Not one person in the room has perfectly and forever put off what God has put off. And not one person in this room has perfectly put on what God has put on. And therefore, beloved, God has a problem with us. And so before we approach this commandment and say, hey, give me 10 ways to honor my husband by talking to him the right way. God is saying, wait a minute, you skipping home base and home base says, homeboy, you got to repent. Right. There's another. There's a king who's come and his name is Jesus. And the very law he's given to you and I 
he himself has come down from glory to obey it every single point of it. He put off what needed to be put off and he put on what needed to be put on. And then he went to a cross and he died because we are by nature liars. And we are by nature those who gossip. And we are by our old nature those who will laugh and mock and, and, and use vulgarity. We are by nature these things. And God says, I have a problem with that. It's an offense to me. And so we believe that before the law of God comes to you and says, beloved, do this, earn this, God will love you. We believe something that is that is mind blowing. We believe that the posture to the cross is I'm guilty. I've broken the commandment. I need a savior. And his name is Jesus. And he has saved me from my sins. And he has purchased me with his own blood. And we can stand before God, beloved, loved and counted righteous in his sight. But here's the thing. How then do we live after we have been washed by the blood of Christ? By using the same language, talking the same way? No. That same law that condemns us, it's the same law that begins to conform us. Yes. You want to know what God is like? He doesn't lie. You want to know what Jesus is like? He never wavered under pressure. He never sold out the truth. You get it? And so if we want to become more holy family, that it starts with the, the, the gospel and then the law comes right behind it and says, this is how you live. First thing we need to see is that Jesus just didn't save our souls, but his salvation touches our mouths and our speech and our tongues and our words. Our words matter. You have to believe your words matter. What you do with your mouth, it matters. I know we're taught sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is not in the Bible, and that is a lie. Words hurt, and words build up, and words give grace. Words deny grace. I was reading through Matthew, and I, I came across Matthew 26, and I, I just never paid attention to it. But Matthew 26 is Matthew's account of the betrayal of Jesus. And Jesus is about to be crucified within hours. And Matthew records this thing. He says, they devoted themselves to singing hymns. And then Jesus left and went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Why, 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 why would they sing hymns when he's about to be crucified and be betrayed? Why would singing scripture matter? It's because words matter. In our Savior's final hours on this earth, you know what he needed to hear and wanted to hear? His disciples singing with him. You know why it was such an assault and it was so hard to be in the garden? It was because he asked him to do one thing. Just, just pray for me. Use your tongue and use your words. 
and, and shoot up words up to glory that the father might give me strength. You see, beloved, words matter. Your savior in his final hours on the earth wanted to be sung to and he wanted to be prayed for. Our words matter. And so how do we go about with this dilemma? Well, on the one hand, we own our sin. We repent of it. We, we, we understand that our lying and deceit and gossiping and bad mouthing and profanity and crude joking, all of that. We, we own it, that it is wrong and sinful in the sight of the Lord and we turn from him. But notice what Paul also says. He says, don't just turn from sin. Don't just put sin off. He says, put certain things on. Don't just put away falsehood. Be a speaker of truth. Don't just put away corrupting words. Spend time speaking words that build and strengthen people. Don't just put away filthiness and crude joking. Spend time giving thanks. Don't just gather to get intoxicated. Let the spirit lead you to turn your Bible studies into psalm singing events, right? That's the weight of what he's saying. Be singing the word of God. Be using your tongues to proclaim the excellencies of God. I love what Eugene Peterson writes about this. He says, artists use the term negative space to name the importance of what is not there in a sculpture or painting. An artist has to know what to leave out as well as what to put in. Openness and emptiness, what you don't see, makes way for what you should see. Negative space is as much a part of the work of art as what you do see. Negative space keeps the clutter down. None of Paul's negatives require anything heroic. Just stop lying, right? What negatives do is leave room for the main action, for God to paint a new picture and put things on the canvas by the Spirit. See what he's saying? This put off language. It's negative space in a painting. Put it off. Don't put it there. And then by the Spirit, let God paint. Let him put truthfulness on your mouth. Let him put melodies in your heart that you sing. And I love this is spirit empowered obedience. Paul says, don't be drunk, but be filled with the spirit and let the spirit lead you to sing scripture. He says, don't be drunk, but be filled with the spirit. He says, don't grieve the spirit. He said us last week that, that, that the, our minds have been renewed by the spirit. In other words, this way forward is not just human effort. It is letting the Holy Spirit who dwells in you be the Holy Spirit. And we yield. And let God work. So what does it look like? You're caught in a sin. You got found out. And your temptation is to revert back to the old woman or the old man. And your temptation is to hide and deny it. But in that moment, if we would remember this commandment, put away falsehood, speak the truth. Your father loves you. His impression of you does not change because you've been found out. He loves you with a love that is unwavering. That when you did not confess sins, your heart and your strength, they, they, they wasted away. But when you confess that there is newness of life, Jesus invites us in our sin to not hide it. 
hide it is death. Rather, confess it, be truthful with it. I know it's hard, little teenage boys, when you're the outside man and, and you hear this crude joking and perverse talk. But I want to tell you, you belong to Jesus. And you can, in that moment when you hear it, you can confront a person who is speaking in a way that dishonors our young ladies. And you can say, yo, dude, that is not cool. You need to stop. It is sinful. And just because we're teenagers, we don't get a pass on it. The, we're, we're, we, we are held accountable to the law. And in doing that, you just might protect the dignity of a young lady and your knucklehead friend just might come to know Jesus. See how that works? Dream with me for a moment. What if it's possible to have high schools where our daughters could walk down without hearing snide comments? What would it be like to be able to be caught in sin and to speak the truth? What would it be like to use our words to build people up and to encourage them? What would it be like when someone is gossiping that we stop it right there and say, you know what? That, that, this does not honor the Lord. Let, let, let's kill it right here, right now. Family, it's not a dream. You know that, right? This is something God desires right here in this community. And I'll close with this. Words matter. They really matter. In my office right now, there's a stack. It's about this thick. And you know what? It's letters. It's letters from you. And there are days when ministry is hard. And it's sad. And it's lonely. And it's been your words that have encouraged your pastor that in my office right now, I have a little post-it note. I have some pictures my son has drawn for me, but I have a post-it note. And it says, Dad, you're doing a really good job. I love you. And it's trip. And that matters. That my son would say, Dad, I'm proud of you. That matters when life is hard to hear someone else actually say, I'm proud of you. That this is not a dream, it's a reality. That your words, the way that you talk to your children, the way that you talk to your spouse, the way that you talk to one another, trust me, they carry weight and they can build people up. And this is God's Let's pray. Father, we would desire to honor you with our speech. I pray that the gospel would touch our words. May this be a place, Lord, where we hear and encourage one another, where we give grace, where we put gossip to death, where we will not overindulge in alcohol, but we will capture moments to sing praises to your name. May we have words in the right season for your people. May we be in proximity enough with them that they can actually hear us. Father, I pray that this, this dream that we see in Scripture would be a reality, a small slice 
of heaven right here in this fellowship and in our homes and in our workplaces. Would you use us, oh God, to do it? I pray for Christ's sake. Amen.